to New Life Church. My name is Pastor Lindsay, and I'm an assistant pastor here at church. And we are just so thankful that you are here joining us this morning. Whether you're here in person or online, we just want to say thank you for being a part of New Life Church this morning and joining with us. Listen, today we are going to get into some worship. We're going to have an encouraging time in the Word. Our kids are already back in New Life Kids that are here. And if your kids are at home, I want to encourage you, make sure you check out our website throughout the week and look for the exciting things that our New Life Kids staff is posting for them. But right now, we're just going to jump straight into worship. So if you're here in person, stand with us today. If you're at home, online, wherever you're at, in your car, sitting on your couch today. Let's just go ahead and take a moment to prepare our hearts for worship. It's been a trying week. It's been a a difficult week. But here's the thing we know for sure, that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is always on the throne. So today I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, what's going on in life, to just take a moment to say, Lord, I give all of this to you. I lay worry and anxiety and fear. I lay my burdens at your feet. I take everything that is in me and I lay it before you. So this morning, God, we come to you in prayer. We say, God, we know you are God and you are in control. And so this morning, Lord, we lay everything aside that would hinder us, every worry and every concern And we come before you with singing, with praise, worshiping you, God. This morning, Lord, we thank you. I thank you for your son, Jesus, that came to this earth, that lived a perfect life, who died on that cross and rose again and sits forever at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. God, I thank you for the salvation that he brought to this world. The access that we have to you because of his work. So this morning, God, we come before you with thankful hearts, with humble hearts, and we enter into your presence with thanksgiving and praise, and we worship you with everything that is within us. In Jesus' name, let's worship together, New Life Church. Oh 
declare there's nothing better than you. And that in this time in all of our minds, Father, where we need you to turn the things that look like ashes into something beautiful, Father, in all of our lives, in our nation, in our world, Father. We need you to have your way. And I, I just, I just thank you, God, that we have you and there's nothing better than you. nothing better. 
there's nothing bigger than him. There's nothing more powerful. And whatever's going in our lives this week, that is still the truth. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's coming back soon. And we're going to see him in all his glory. said it's finished. Thank you, Father. Lord, we know that song goes on to tell us how deep your love is for us. Many times Paul wrote to expound and to encourage and to exhort the hearer of how deep how wide, how high, how long, how great, how expansive your love is. And for us to pray that our eyes would be open, that our hearts would be opened to the greatness of the love that you have for us. Then when we truly know that we are loved, we can truly be 
who we're called to be. So let your love today, God, warm our hearts. May your love today swarm our heart. And may your love today swell up in our heart. That we would be carriers, image bearers of the great love of God. That we would not attempt to love out of our own strength, for that will soon fade. But we love because He, you first, loved us. Let it be tangible and let it be real. Lord, we thank you for loving us. And today, Lord, I pray as we have been invited to open your word, I pray today, God, that your word would enlighten us, convict us, strengthen us, light the path of our feet, and we would be willing to travel the way you say, go. If that means we have to change course, may we do it. If that means we have to change the pace, may we do it. May we do it because your word is life. Your word is truth. And your word changes us. So I pray now, God, as I speak your word, that the meditations of my heart, the words that come from my mouth, would be acceptable to you, helpful to the people, and as a result, our lives would reflect your glory, your love, your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, folks, you can be seated here today want to say hello to all of you who are watching online. It's good to be with you. Appreciate you, worship team. Thank you so much. Well, listen, let me invite you to just, let's get into the Word today. Who's ready to dive into the matchless life power life-giving Word of God today. Amen? You ready? Let's do this. Let's get in. Let me invite you. Well, I'm glad you're excited. That does my heart good. <laughs> All right, listen, we're going to be in two places today. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, Gospel of Luke chapter 2, and then if you want to go ahead and make a note or if you've got your actual Bibles, you can, you can uh, mark Genesis 1, Luke 2, Genesis 1. If you're using your Bible app, you'll just have to thumb through it as we get there. All right, well, let me say Happy New Year to you. I was unable to be with you last week. Uh, I was able to participate by watching online, and uh, if you missed it, I would encourage you to go and catch that on our YouTube channel as we prayed uh, over each family, um, a New Year blessing, and uh, powerful prayers last week real uplifting and powerful, authoritative, compassionate prayers uh, that went out on our behalf. And um, 
Listen, today we're going to be starting a new series for January. It's called Imprint, the Image of Christ. And uh, that begins today through this month. And I just want to kind of set this up with uh, a few thoughts as, as we get into this text here in just a moment. Um, the word imprint, uh, it, it means a, a mark that is made by pressure. It's, uh, it's an image that is impressed upon something. If you took, if you took a coin and you, you, you set it on your leg and then you took your thumb and you just pressed that coin down on your leg and then remove it 15, 20 seconds later, you, will, you won't see the full image, but you'll see an impression of that image on your, on your skin. And that's, that's called an imprint. And, and as, as believers, as really as people, we're all called to, uh, to, to walk and to live in the image of Christ Jesus. We are called to, especially those of us who bear the name of Jesus, we are called to bear the image of Jesus in our life. It's a, it's a place of a process of transformation that the Holy Spirit does. It begins at the initial born-again experience, redemption, and then it carries on through the person's life. Uh, it's called, the uh, theologians call it the theology of sanctification, all right? Uh, other words used for that are just simply transformation, that we are called to bear the image of our Savior, of Christ Jesus. And, and so, as we live our life, as we go through our life, we should see ourselves change from season to season. In fact, God uses seasons. God uses situations. God uses His Scripture by the Holy Spirit then to mold and to shape the heart of a person to become more and more and more like Christ. And the imprint, that, that mark that is supposed to be left on a person, the image of Jesus is what, is, is what people should see. People should see and notice the heart and the reflection of a person to be more and more like Christ. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect in that because that's not possible. That doesn't mean we, we don't set ourselves up for that. It means that we won't, we, we're going to make our mistakes, absolutely. We're going to fall short in, in our walk with the Lord. However, if our lives truly belong to Jesus, then our desire, our aim in our life should be to reflect Christ in how we live, in what we do, in every aspect of our life. And so you have these, the, the, here's the thing in our day and time, we literally have information at our fingertips. Uh, more so now than ever before, we have at our fingertips so much information that it, you, can, you can think something sometimes and it's almost like your phone can read your mind. You may have a conversation with somebody, and then uh, you go and you open your phone up, and it's like uh, there's an ad for what you just got through talking about. It's so bizarre. But we have all this information at our fingertips, and we are constantly bombarded by information. In fact, our, 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 our brains and our, our lives are almost segmented in a way to where 
it, 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 we see things in little, in little blocks of space. Uh, the little block of space on a, on a social media app. Uh, or if you're watching news, it's not just a person talking. There's about five or six different boxes of things that are being displayed. There's an anchor, news anchor talking at the bottom. There's a scroll happening uh, on one side. Then there's a, there's a video image being displayed. In another box, there might be of uh, uh, someone else waiting to take their turn to talk. And then there's all around it, there are these images and these, these uh, icons of things. And so our brains, our minds are, are just, are, are being, are taking in everything trying to comprehend and take in everything at one time. There's this imprint of things from the world that try to get to us. But as a person that follows Jesus, we are called to bear the imprint of his image in our life. And there are 31, over 31,000 imprints right here in one book. Over 31,000 verses that are the life-giving, transforming Word of God that is there to make an impression in us and leave a mark in us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, over these next few couple of three weeks, we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. So that's going to be the text for our church uh, for the next couple of three weeks. So read that, read that, uh, pray over that, study that, uh, give your attention to that. As a church, that's where we're going to be taking our main direction from is Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the formative, progressive years of Christ, these early days of Jesus and how that pertains to us to have, uh, to be in a position to have his image leave an imprint in our life. I, I probably, you know, a lot of people would say that if you ask most Christ followers, the life of Jesus was, was authentic, uh, uh, was compassionate, uh, had lots of power, had an insurmountable amount of, of love that just oozed out of his heart. And I mean, he was a very giving, his life on this earth that the gospels portray, very giving. Uh, and, and I mean, the only one willing to go to the cross to die for the whole world, everyone born and unborn, to be to have that redemption take place for him to pay the price for our sins, and and then to wait it out for three days, and to finally be called out of the tomb, out of the grave, out of death, and and to spend about forty days being able to walk through walls and and have have people touch his side and, and, and spend a little time explaining even further the realities of what was going on and, and then to ascend to heaven and has been there waiting for the time where God the Father will say, now's the time. It's time for you to go back to earth again, the second coming of Jesus. Go claim what is rightfully yours. Go and 
get my bride, go get your bride. It's been ready. She's ready. She's without spot. She's without wrinkle. She has gone through it, but yet she still stands. She, she has been trampled on, but yet she still rises. She has been misunderstood, but yet she still speaks. She has made mistakes, but yet she still tries to love. And there she is, the bride of Christ. Go get yours. And at that time, Christ will break through the eastern sky. The trumpet will sound louder than any trumpet you could ever imagine. And we will be joined together with Christ. He will come again. Folks, you need to understand. You need to take heart. Jesus said it right before he left. He told his disciples in the Gospel of John, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Father's going to come. He's going to send the Spirit, the Advocate, to be here to help you. He said, there's so much I'd like to tell you that I can't tell you right now, but you won't be left alone. And in fact, you will face troubles of many kinds, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So put your trust in me, put your hope in me, put your faith in me, and you're going to make it. You're going to be all right. And that's what we have to carry on with today. And we're called to bear that image, that kind of image of Christ. So let's look at our, our text here in Luke chapter 2. I've titled today's message, Get Ready, God is Up to Something. We're going to just look here quickly at these, this story. This actually is a story that about the shepherds that actually was preached as a Christmas message just a few weeks ago in our Christmas series. But the birth of Christ happened. And we're going to look at now this after effect, if you will, of Christ's coming. Verse 8, Luke 2, verse 8 says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. So here they were, doing their job, living their life, doing their thing. And then it says this, verse 9, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified the lord's glory the words to use to describe that can be can be uh, used as the power and the love of god when it says the glory of god it's his love and his power and his fullness is right there and he said this angel came the angel the glory of god his love and his power was there they were terrified they freaked out God was visiting them. In verse 10, it says, The angel reassured them, Hey, don't be afraid. But it said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. So God visited the angel, or excuse me, God visited the shepherds via the angels. And these shepherds were just living life, going about doing their thing. And God visits them. And the angel says, But I bring you good news that will actually bring you great joy into your life. And that good news is, verse 11, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. The Messiah has been born. What you've been waiting for has happened. And then verse 12 says, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. In other words, the angel's like, look, you got to, I mean, God's inviting you to leave your field and to go to where this child is, and he want, God is inviting you to go see this. He wants you to go see this 
Christ Jesus, this Savior, this Messiah that has been born today, and you will see him wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Then it says, suddenly an angel was joined by many other angels. In fact, it says the whole armies of heaven. They were praising God, and they were saying, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to those who God is pleased. And then the angels returned back to heaven. And then the shepherds said to each other, they made a decision. God has visited us. The angel has told us this good news that it brings it warms my, our heart. It brings great joy. There's great peace that's coming from this thing. Let's go check it out. Let's go see what God is saying. This is, so they, they said, let's go see what happened. The Lord has told us this. In verse 16, it says they actually hurried to the village. They probably ran. Probably ran, went fast, got there quick, found Mary, Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And then verse 17, it says after seeing him, after seeing this Jesus, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had told them about this child, the angel had said. And so they found themselves in a field doing their job. God visited through this angel, tells them what was going on. They said, let's go see. So they go and to see this image, and it's Jesus, this baby wrapped in snugly cloths. And he made this, their visitation, their experience of going to see Jesus left an impression upon them. Their time with Jesus made an imprint upon their life, something significant. And so much so that they went and told others about it. And what happened there? It said, all who heard the shepherd's story, verse 18, they were astonished, and Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. So their story, their encounter of, of bearing the image of Jesus made such an imprint in them, they went and then told others about what this Jesus image did for them, and all the people who heard it were also astonished. They were affected. They were impacted as well by this Christ that they had not met, but the image that was left upon the shepherd's life. And then, verse 20, it says, The shepherds went back to their flocks. They went back to their flocks. They were glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So they went back to their lives, back to living their life, transformed by this image of Jesus upon them, left an impression on them. You know, just because the year changes doesn't necessarily mean life changes. I know there's nothing magical about going from one year to a new year, 2020 to 2021. What it does, though, it puts within people this kind of this hopeful expectation that life can start over, that there can be a fresh beginning, a fresh start, a, and a reset, if you will, and can you know, kind of look at a new, the new, the kind of thing starting over again in a fresh way and set some new goals, reevaluate some life. 
you know, try to not do certain things the same way you did them last time, learning from mistakes, learning from life's lessons, et cetera, et cetera. So, but nothing actually magically changes just because the year itself changes. No, for life to change, I must be marked by Christ. If I want my year to be different, and if I want my life to be different this year, then it has to be more than the calendar rolling over from 2020 to 2021. I have to have my spirit be rolled over by the spirit of Christ. That I have to seek him like these, like these shepherds. I have to find him like these shepherds and be found by him like these shepherds. And I have to have my life marked by the image of Jesus like these shepherds. That if I want anything to change for me, then I have to find myself getting before the image of Christ and allowing his image, this image of Christ, to make an imprint into me, into my soul. Like these shepherds, they went back to their flocks. They went back to their life with this lasting imprint of Jesus on them. And it made all the difference. They were now in a position to be able to live the life that God had designed and called them to live. In fact, the imprint that, that the image of Jesus makes on a person sets into motion the original, God's original design for life. The imprint of Christ on a person's life sets into motion God's original design for our life. If we want to be better, if we want to change, <laughs> if things around us may not change, but things inside of us can. Things inside of us can. And the things that make us stable, the things that make us solid, the things that will make us secure on the inside cannot be founded upon what happens on the outside in this world. For centuries, people have looked to try to change the situations of life in order to produce an inner sanctity of peace. And friends, it's the opposite. It's the other way around that makes all the difference. And it's Jesus that makes the sanctity of peace last within a person. It's Jesus that brings his news, brings great joy into our souls. And so it's being imprinted with his image on our life, on our soul, that then can send my life forward into a new year to live the way God has designed me to live and has called me to live. If you're still looking for something earthly to sustain you for eternity, you'll never find it. It will never last. It will never stand the trials of life. It'll never surpass anything that you will go through or lean into on earth. You must look to a deeper place. You must go to the image and the person of Jesus. And it's him who will bring so much transformation and change and steadiness into your life. And so what design is it that we're called to live? Well, the Bible's full of it, but I want to look at just a, a small part of this that's actually really the big part of this whole story, and that is in Genesis chapter 1. 
Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, God said, this is on day 6 of creation. He said, let us make, speaking to himself, he said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild, animal, wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We must never forget that humanity was created in the image of God. The only creation that was created in his image, that bears his likeness, created in the image and the likeness of God, regardless of who we are and where we come from. And then God said to his creation of male and female, he said he blessed them, and then is what he, he told them this. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. And what had happened was that. And God looked over all that he made, and he saw all of it, and he said, this is very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. I want to zero in on first part of what the Lord God says to mankind, humankind, there in verse 28, tells them basically four things, a design, a command, if you will. This is how and who you're called to be. This is how you're called to live. It says, be fruitful. Now, in these commands, it's the natural side, but also we know there's also a spiritual side. The natural side speaks for itself. I don't think I'll need to expound on that, but I will take a few minutes and expound on the spiritual side of the implication of the text. Be fruitful. Be fruitful, he says. In other words, prosper and be productive with your life. Make your life count for something significant. What should it count for? In other words, God says, be fruitful, live your life in such a way for the purpose and the glory of God in every aspect. In every aspect. Live your life for the purpose and the glory of God. Whatever you do, set out to do it for the glory of God. Whoever you marry, marry for the glory of God. Have kids, have kids, but raise them for the glory of God. Wherever you work and whatever job choice, career, whatever path you take, do it for the glory of God. Been given a chore, do it for the glory of God. Been asked to do a favor, do it for the glory of God. Asked to help somebody move, do it for the glory of God. Especially the one who moves five times six years whatever your life our life make it count don't make it count for you make it count 
for the glory of God. Paul expounds on this. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, talking about writing to the believers there in Corinth. I've chosen the message translation just for this portion of text. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27, he says this. He says, you've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. He said, everyone runs, but only one wins. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. And he flips it, he said, but not you, Christ follower, Jesus follower, person that bears the name and the image of Jesus. He says, you're after a gold medal that's gold eternally. You're not after making a name just for yourself. You're not building a life just for you. You're not trying to put all your eggs in one basket and have all you can get on earth. He said, no, you're after something much more greater, much greater, gold eternally. He said this, he said, I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about all of this, and then missing out myself. In other words, Paul's like, look, you see how it works in the natural world, out amongst the people, the rat race of life, everybody trying to get theirs, everybody trying to have theirs, Everybody trying to obtain something for them. Nothing wrong with having. Nothing wrong with possessing. Nothing wrong with receiving. But that's not the aim of your life. The aim of your life is to be fruitful. The aim of your life is to live a life for the purpose and the glory of God who created you. Wherever you may find yourself whatever season of life you find yourself living, be one who will be fruitful right where you are. You might be in a valley moment of life, but be determined that you will blossom and you will bloom right where you are planted. You won't make excuses. You won't shift and lay blame. You will take responsibility and you will give yourself to the Lord. And right where you are, you may not like the surroundings of life, but you're going to be determined. I will reflect the image of Jesus where I'm at and with whom I'm around. I will not allow myself to blend in with culture. No, I will stand out as one who lives for the glory and the purpose of God. That was what God told humanity from the beginning of creation. From the get-go, I charge you, be fruitful with your Be fruitful with your life. Then he tells him this, multiply. Multiply. 
live a life to reproduce the image of Jesus in other people. Live a life that will produce the image of Jesus in other people. The last words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, he tells his disciples and us today, he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Make disciples. Make followers of Jesus out of the way you live your life. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't have to have gone to a certain college and get a certain education to live for Jesus and to bear the image of Jesus and to tell others about Jesus and to show other people how to live your life for Jesus. Multiply. Reproduce the image of Jesus in other people. Disciple them. Make relationships with others in such a way to where you can have an imprint and leave an imprint of the image of Jesus on them. Rhetorical question, but the question is we all have someone in our life, maybe plural people in our life, that we could look at, point to, either they're still alive or they've passed, that we could say they made a difference in me. That's reproducing, that's multiplying, that's reproducing the image of Jesus in someone else's life. As parents, we're called to do this with our kids. And some days it's hard as you know what to do that. And sometimes the kids say it's twice as hard to live with you some days. Just depends on what's going on. But if we're gonna have children, we're called to bear children and to reproduce the image of Jesus in them. No, we can't make someone love Jesus, but we can do all we can to live it before them in hopes that they will want what we have. You name it, wherever you may find yourself, we're called to reproduce the image of Jesus. In fact, the word disciple, the Greek word used for the uh, disciple in the New Testament is mentioned over 260 times, Matthew through the book of Acts. The word Christian, the Greek word used for Christian in the New Testament is only used three times. I think we hide behind the term Christianity more so for the sake that we say our salvation ticket is punched than we do behind the tag disciple, which means take up your cross and follow Christ. It means humble yourself. Don't be prideful. Don't be a person of piety and think you know it all and you got it all figured out. You're right and everybody else is wrong. No, take up your cross. 
bear the weight, bear the mark of Christ upon your life that has done so in such a way that when people look at you, they see maybe a little bit of a hunch. What are they carrying? They're carrying the cross that Christ calls us to carry, which over time will push down on you. It's not a yoke that is heavy and burdensome to where it can't be done, Jesus said but it is one that will definitely keep you in a position of always knowing there's one greater than me and his name is Jesus. So there's no Christianity without discipleship. That's why sitting in a, ch a chair in a church doesn't make someone a Christian no more than a car, sit than a person sitting in a garage would make them a car. You have to take on the image on its likeness, etc. Then God tells us the third thing. This is how you're called to live. Not only be fruitful, multiply, but fill the earth. Fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? <clears throat> the earth is full of a lot of things. But simply, I, I call it this. Live a life that fills the earth not only with words, but also with deeds. According to the angel that came and visited the shepherds, good news brought great joy. Good deeds can bring great peace. We should not always be the kind of people who would want to just say it, but also be the kind of people who would express it in how we live it. How did that happen? How does that, what does that look like? Well, I think we can take a snapshot of the first church in Acts chapter 2. Chosen the message translation for this. It's the day that, on the day of Pentecost, God pours out His Spirit. Peter preaches, and it says this, 3,000 people took Peter at his word. They were baptized, and they were signed up. So they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, word, to the life together, the common meal and prayers, word and deed. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles' deeds. All the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common, sold whatever they owned, pulled their resources so that each person's need was met. Deed, they followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple. Word, followed by meals at home. Meals that were celebration and exuberant and joyful. Deed, people in general liked what they saw. They liked what they saw. They saw the deeds. They saw the people living by the word. And then what happened? It said every day their number grew. The church grew as God added to those who were saved. Unfortunately, we have been trained to look for the explosion of events and feel-good moments to bring us satisfaction when really we're called to just simply live day by day in word and in deed you know how hard it is to 
hit a home run if you're playing baseball or softball a home run every single time you get up to bat I don't know what the statistics are because I didn't study this before I said this I just know that's kind of hard or how hard is it to catch the game-winning pass in football that some of you Titans fans are hoping that happens today about 40 minutes you'll be home if you live nearby waiting get done I gotta see t- kick off <clears throat> or how hard it is to hit the game-winning shot in a basketball game or how how, how difficult it is to hit the, the to kick the game-winning goal in soccer not easy what does that tell us Look behind the scenes before the game and see the practice of discipline that goes in to prepare one for the game. The one can only be ready to kick the field goal or catch the pass or drain the bucket or kick the goal, whatever analogy you want to use, if they're ready. If they're ready. And they're willing to put in the practice of word and deed because here's the reality we just never know who's watching us but may they catch a a glimpse and a glance when they do look at our life that they will not just see or hear us talking but they will see us living filling the earth with the glory of God and then lastly he says govern live your life to govern not butthole govern woke somebody up today church not being a pain in the neck govern not being a pious person person that lives that way but to live simply in the authority of Christ a person who just really truly knows who they are they don't flaunt it They don't flaunt who they are. A person who knows who they are just lives it. And that is what God is saying. You are created in my image. You are to bear the image of Christ. Let it be an imprint upon you. And in so doing, live in the authority that Christ has given you. You can read about it in 2 Corinthians 10. It talks about spiritual authority. For the sake of time, I'm going to narrow this thing down for a landing. Bring it, bring it in for a landing. In the closing verse, I've chosen the Amplified. It's verse 31 of Genesis 1. Here's what he says. He said, God looked at everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. It was suitable. It was pleasant. He said, and he approved it Completely, God approved what he made because he's absolute authority. Approved what he made. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God stamped this design for living as suitable as, and good. Be fruitful with your life. Live for the purpose and glory of God. Multiply. Reproduce the image of Jesus in those around you. 
Fill the earth with your life in good word and in good deed. And live in the authority that Christ gives you as a spiritual believer, a person of faith. Live out in that authority. You're not defeated. You're not under. You have the power within you by the power of Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in a believer, lives in you. Let that power and that authority come forth. And so like these shepherds, live in life. God calls. God comes to them. He says, you need to come and see Jesus. Come and bear his image. They go, they seek him, they find him. They're found by him. Their souls have been imprinted with the image of Christ. And now they can live, and you and I can live this design that God has called us to live. But we've got to put forth ourselves in a position to practice what's called spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. What's so special about these things? I actually was questioning that this, over this last couple of weeks. Why do I, why, what's the big deal opening the Bible, finding a devotion, spending some time in your word, praying, maybe writing some th thoughts down? What's, what, what is that all about? Obviously, I believe in it. The Lord brought me to this little thing I read. I didn't even intend to pick the book up to read it. It just was there. It's kind of like Moses in the burning bush. There it is. I turned my eyes, my head, and boom, it caught my attention. It's a book called The Sacred Year by Michael Yankowski. It's been out about six years. But he's having a conversation with a priest whose name is Father Solomon. And just bear with me as we close this out. He says, spiritual practices are a way of mapping your own personal soulscape. Helping you become more acquainted with who you are, who God is, and the people that he's placed in you, in your life, alongside of you. He said, it's kind of like sailing. He said, when you're sailing, you learn to be constantly attentive to the wind. How it's blowing over your sails. What direction it's coming from. How fast it's moving. This attentiveness to the wind becomes the main art of sailing. We must attend to the wind and then respond to whatever it is that wind is doing, trim our sails, adjust our course, sometimes even exchange one sail for another, whatever it takes so as to be in the most receptive place that is given by what the wind is doing. Our attentiveness to the wind allows the wind to then move us. Spiritual practices are like that. It's like adjusting our sails and making sure we're in a receptive place given what God is doing. And he goes on to say this. In the time of Jesus, there was a single word that was used for breath wind or spirit and it says the spirit of God the breath of God or the wind of God these are all accurate translations of a common New Testament phrase 
that means get ready. God is up to something. When you feel, see the wind blow, it means you have to pay attention. And when you pay attention, then your life can move in the direction that the breath and the wind and the Spirit of God wants to take you. That's what spiritual practices are like. Spiritual disciplines. In the moment, you may not really feel it. You're just kind of maybe going through it. But what you're doing is getting your sail set. Making sure it's not torn. So that God can take your ship in the direction it wants to take you. Because ultimately God knows where your life needs to head. So every year we like to take 21 days as a church to pray and fast. To prepare and set ourselves up to live this way. To live with the image of Christ being imprinted upon our souls. So that begins today. We'll end the last day of the month, the 31st. I would encourage you to consider fasting throughout this 21 days. We don't typically lay out a map or what you should or shouldn't fast. You can determine that. But over these next 21 days, on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, we will be producing video devotionals that we will put up for you. And we'd like for you to just take those and listen to them watch them, create your own kind of path of Bible reading, devotional time, and prayer time. Continue to attend church, those types of things. Now, in and of themselves, nothing mystical or magical, but what it does, it takes us to Jesus like those shepherds. It brings us to Jesus so that we can see Him. We can know Him. He can see us. He can know us. And our life can take on His image. The image that we're all created to live in and function. If you're able to stand, I'd love to pray for you. Pastor Lindsay's going to come and close us out. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this time that we're here, we're alive. We're in a new year. And at the beginning of this new year, Lord, we yield our life to you. As we said last week, we certainly want your hand of blessing on our life. Now, Lord, we want to set aside some time to seek you like those shepherds so that your image, Jesus, make an impression in us. We can be and live out this design that you've called us to live. Help us to do it fully. Help us to embrace it wholeheartedly. Let us not get caught up in the theatrics of, the, of all of it, but let us just simply daily yield 
seek you, find you, know you, and you change us and make us who we're called to be. We honor you and we thank you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a timely word to start this year off and push us towards the right direction for 2021. Listen, as we close out today, just want to make you aware of a couple of things. One is all the different ways that there are to give. You can give in person if you're here at our giving stations. You can give online on our website through our church center app. However you choose to give, we just appreciate your faithfulness to supporting the work that New Life Church is doing on a daily basis. So we thank you for that. Also, as Pastor Jeremy mentioned, 21 days of prayer and fasting. We really encourage you, jump on Facebook, follow along with those posts and those things that are happening. Encourage yourself, make a, a mental note just to check in on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays and catch those little short videos that are going to be being posted and share those with those around you so that we can just help be unified. There's a great thing that happens when we fast and pray together. And I want to encourage you when it comes to fasting, if it's something you've never done before, just step out on faith and choose something that you can fast. Maybe it's one meal a day. Maybe it's just kind of taking that time to choose something that you can kind of put aside and take a break from so that you can focus on what God wants to speak to your heart during this season. So we challenge you to join together with us and be a part of that. Look, we look forward to seeing you and gathering together with you both in person and online next Sunday. God bless you. We love you, New Life Church, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Struggles on my feet, they won't let me be. Won't you set me free? Pray this on me. Shackles on my feet, oh, they won't let me be. Won't you set me free? Pray this all on me. Pray this all on me. Let me go. Let me go. I've been going through so much, I swear these people let my throat. That's on me. That's on mamas. On my mama, I can't take no more.